0: Support for the trend comes from members of the Local Programming Fund. I'm Micah Schweitzer. Coming up, conversation with the classical fusion group Montana Skies, along with excerpts from their Under the Beams performance in New Harmony. But first, we turn our attention to World Fair Trade Day, which is on Saturday. The recent tragedy at a garment factory in Bangladesh has put a lot of attention on where and how our clothes are made. Here to talk about fair trade are Anne Ennis. She has a passion for fair trade, born out of some trips to Nicaragua. Welcome. Hi, thank you. And Ann Ferguson is also here. She's the education coordinator for the Fair Trade Market at Old North United Methodist Church in Evansville. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Anne Ferguson, uh, let's start with you. You just got back a week or so ago from the Fair Trade Federation uh, convention in Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, that was a national gathering what was the response there to the building collapse in bangladesh how did that factor in
1: um it was on everyone's minds and people were angry but it was such a hopeful place because the fair trade federation conference is a place where everyone in the fair trade federation gathers to talk and discuss and help each other everybody wants everyone to succeed so um Being in the fair trade movement means that you have solutions to problems like that in Bangladesh. And what you're working on is something that combats neglect that would let a factory collapse on 800 people, you know?
0: But Ann Annis, we also see through this tragedy that we have so little control over many of the goods that we buy, um, you know, just, I think, single digit percentage of clothes actually made in the US that we buy. Um, Companies that sell the clothes sometimes don't even know where or how things are being made. So some really big obstacles to overcome.
2: Yes. When I was in Nicaragua in 2001 and a few other trips uh, shortly after that, I started having my eyes opened to what was going on in these sweatshops uh, that, that are located all over South and Central America and then also all over many parts of Asia and uh, uh the lack of any safety the lack of in of even bathroom facilities the the uh long work days the lack of pay i mean it's notorious you know that people are getting maybe 80 cents a day for 10 hour days and they're working 6 7 days a week if they complain about anything they lose their jobs what we find in this country when you come back is that is so far away from the mind of the person who is shopping in a retail store that uh it's really hard to get people connected to to what those what those issues are Someone told me uh, with a witness for peace group in Nicaragua that in the days of slavery. The slaves were, were right there, They you saw them. But here you've got people that are thousands and thousands of miles away, and you're in this lovely store with great lighting and great music, and you're getting a bargain. But I remind my family frequently uh, that every bargain that you get means somebody isn't getting paid if you think about the number of hands it goes through before clothing gets to you. So what do you do? Well, I... Uh, have committed our family we only buy fair trade coffee and we uh, try to buy often fair trade chocolate candies that's those are things that are that are easy to get where you can feel like you're doing something i did a lot of research early on when i got back from nicaragua i found a place there's a an online store called maggie's clean clothes and you can buy socks there and some really nice scarves there's also t-shirts all kinds of t-shirts I do other research, Uh, I look around the internet occasionally, uh, every year or so I I, I do look, and um, for example the Gap several years ago came out with a social justice statement and a policy of what they were trying to do to control their suppliers in these countries. Uh, I heard many years ago, I I did some research and found that Levi's was allowing unions to organize in their shops in Mexico and in Central America. So those are little things that make me think, okay, you know, Levi's, I'll pay a little more for a pair of Levi's because they're doing something good. Uh, You know, I'll, uh, I'll go to the Gap and take a look around because they're doing something positive, recognizing that you cannot live in the United States of America. Uh, as a quote-unquote normal citizen, and do everything organic, fair trade, and and know that you know you're not hurting somebody. The very act of wearing clothes in the United States, in Canada, in Northern Europe, is hurting somebody.
1: You're a really motivated consumer, though. So you're doing this research. I think I think people need to remember that there are places like the Fair Trade Market, like the River City Co-op. Alberts with people who know about Mm -hmm. this stuff and you can use them as resources because they know about it, they want to share it.
0: So those are some of the resources that, that you could turn to because it seems like fair trade runs into this issue of supply and demand where you simply don't have the volume that's needed to meet all of our needs.
1: That's true. I did a little research as the education coordinator. I went around to the grocery stores on the north side and looked for fair trade coffee, and I was just looking at coffee. But there are other commodities that are sold through regular grocery stores. You just got to keep your eyes open and be aware of what the labels look like. And if you need help figuring out the labeling system, we can supply you with that information.
0: And some of those labels are like Equal Exchange, Equal which is exchange. Of a red and white label, or the or the, the uh, Fair Trade Certified, which has two interlocking hands, mm-hmm. black and white.
1: And the Fair Trade International mark, which is green and black. Mm-hmm. And the labels don't necessarily... They're not the end of the world when it comes to Fair Trade, but they can be very useful tools to help guide your purchasing. Do they
0: guarantee anything?
1: Yeah. Each... Each system has their own way of certifying, and they all follow the fair trade general fair trade principles, which prevent child labor, promote environmental sustainability, um, promote transparency and accountability, all all those kinds of things. Um, so, yes, they do. In but I, I'm reluctant to say, each one is the same because there are variations on. So the different principles. systems, yeah. yeah,
0: so when and when you see one of these labels and n s um the other thing you'll see nearby is is the price and it's higher than items that don't have that label, so uh, where is that extra money going
2: well, it's going to the uh, worker in the cooperative or the worker in the garment factory or the worker in the uh, spinning factory that that are making these fair trade certified products. Uh, it all comes down to if if you we all would pay a little bit more, and i 've been told by witness for peace experts who are on the ground in Nicaragua and this is in the mid like two thousand and four five I was doing some communication with them ten cents more for something that costs five dollars can be enough when you look at an international market to provide a living wage to a family in in many of these countries. Uh, So it's, it's not exorbitantly expensive, but you, you know, you do have to pay a little bit more, but to sleep in good conscience sometimes, uh, I I think that's worth it. Uh, you, You know, you can make a donation to a charity and that's a, that's a great thing. But when you buy your coffee, you're making an investment in, you know, changing the world in a little bit of of a manner. And so it's, you know, it's minimal to make sure that you're, you don't have to feel guilty about everything you do, uh, in order to live a upper middle class or middle class life in this country.
0: And Ferguson, we've heard a lot about coffee now. Um, and I know you sell coffee, as we mentioned at the, uh, at the fair trade market. Um, is that one of the Gateway, uh, I hesitate to say drugs, but maybe yeah. in coffee, that's the right term. But is that a, a good way into getting involved in fair trade? What, yes. what are other entry points?
1: Getting involved in fair trade or just I mean, buying, buying fair it. trade? Yeah. It's a really easy way to buy fair trade, and it's one of the largest. I think it is the largest fair trade commodity worldwide. Um, most purchased, most money involved in there. Food in general is the gateway. Uh, the U.K., I think, Many of the grocery stores only sell fair trade bananas um so those have the largest supply chains, food like food commodities have the largest supply chains and have the most presents. Chocolate is a big one, and a lot of people are becoming more familiar with fair trade coffee, fair trade chocolate um tea, fair trade tea, for sure.
2: One thing that I've seen over the last several years there's a lot of universities that have had uh, Student led efforts to buy only uh, fair trade certified clothing, cotton clothing, and uh, to make sure that the factories and the suppliers for their university emblazoned, you know, the logos and the merchandise for the university mm-hmm. are fair trade certified. I don't know if any of the local universities have done that. But uh, you know, some student groups in in ways like that can make a big difference because there's uh, an
1: entire national initiative mm-hmm. called Fair Trade Campaigns, and as part of that, you can start a student group and push to make your university a Fair Trade University.
0: Mm-hmm. Is all of this just a drop in the bucket?
2: Well, there's the saying uh, of the uh, the kid that's walking on the beach and he's throwing up there's all the starfish that have washed up on the beach and he's picking up the starfish and flinging them back in the ocean and some other older man comes and tells him what are you doing and he said i'm saving the starfish and the man says well look at all these starfish the the waters going out you can't begin to save all of them and the child looks at the man and looks at the starfish and he says well i'm saving this one and uh, uh i was Raised in a a church group and a, and a family where you know just because you can't do everything doesn't mean you don't do something, and if uh, if I can go to a fair trade market and I can pick up my staples that that's what I do uh, I buy my staple you know shelf stable goods at fair trade and I buy my coffee and if I can look up and occasionally try to make sure. That even if I'm paying more for a pair of jeans or a pair of socks or a T-shirt, that it's not being made by a slave, I'm willing to do that, and I'm willing to tell other people to do that, and I'm kind of known for nagging other people about doing that. But uh, you know what Old North is doing is just exemplary because it's it's a model where you can you know you can go in there and get quite a bit of things uh, items that you need. Uh, also probably gift items but then they're also uh, what Ann said is true that you know if you go into places that are dealing with fair trade and organic you can get a tie into some good information so you don't have to spend hours on the internet doing I your own research.
1: I don't think um, either that there's a bucket to fill because all trade should be fair so mm-hmm. the hope is that the existing trading systems will change to be fair and be more just and to take people into consideration as the priority instead of the bottom line as the priority. Keeping both in mind, really, because people need to make money and need to have a sustainable livelihood. So.
2: And, um- to that note, uh, a lot of people in this country um, spend a lot of time looking for the least expensive item, and they also spend a lot of time uh, bemoaning the stagnant wages or lower wages. Well, until we've got the rest of the world up to a decent living wage and a uh, some sort of guaranteed quality of life, wages in this country are going to never go back up. So this is a labor issue for the United States and it can be you can look at it selfishly that you've got a lot to gain from this too because we've got to get everything raised for humane humanity reasons but then if you don't want to look at it that way and you want to be a little cynical it's also for your own good
1: that's true I think the global fair trade sales um, are over the five billion mark and I think one billion of that is the U.S. so there's money out there to be made
0: and uh... old north fair trade market uh... has an event coming up on saturday Mm -hmm. uh... in honor of world fair trade day a chance for people to uh... of course shop but also to learn more about what fair trade is and and what they can do with their own spending habits
1: yes so we'll have lots of things to buy and lunch um, and an experience room where you can talk to us and find out more get your answers question questions answered Um, We're also having two speakers, Bill Hemminger, professor from UE, speaking at 10.30, and then Betsy Hopkins, a representative from Uncharted International, will be speaking at one, and they'll be talking about their experiences and how those apply to the fair trade movement.
0: Well, we've been talking with Ann Ferguson. She is with the Old North Fair Trade Market, which is uh, housed at Old North United Methodist Church on Evansville's north side. Also speaking with Ann Ennis, who is a fair trade advocate. Thank you both for your time today.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Micah.
0: You're listening to The Trend. Coming up, music and conversation with the cello-guitar duo Montana Skies.
3: Support for WNIN comes from Tin Man Brewing Company, announcing their locally brewed beer varieties in cans and on draft are now available in local stores and locations. More information at tinmanbrewing.com. And from Evansville Day School, presenting Summer Academy, nine weeks of educational and enriching programs offering a new theme each week. Summer Academy is open to all area students aged three by September 15th through entering fifth grade. Half-day, full-day, and extended care options are available. Details at 812-476-3039.
0: This is The Trend. I'm Micah Schweitzer. Our next guests are musicians who perform what they call classical fusion. We'll hear portions of a performance earlier this year as part of the Under the Beams concert series in New Harmony, Indiana. That's when they also took time to stop by our studio. John and Jen Adams are the cello-guitar duo Montana Skies, and you both come from classical backgrounds. You studied, uh, in your case, John, classical guitar, and in your case, Jen, classical cello, at the University of Georgia, and... I guess uh, you you wanted to play music together and then discovered that there actually isn't as much repertoire for that pairing of instruments as you had hoped. Talk a bit about a bit about what happened when you ran out of repertoire.
4: Well, it, it actually occurred pretty quickly because we had gone to the university library to look for music to play together. And we discovered that there was just a very small amount of music for cello and guitar and much of it was um 20th century music and the rest was some arrangements of things like vivaldi and um and older classic style music so i think we discovered that pretty quickly you know we we went through what we wanted to play from that and decided that we would um sort of expand in our own direction so we started with making our own arrangements and doing original compositions and and expanding outwards from that point. Had you done composition before?
5: No, never. I I I think that it it was um a little bit of a stall right right away, you know, a stall out a little bit, but it was a blessing because we got to examine what we cared about musically. So that it was um you know, kind of forcing us to be um, authentic with our artistic expression and really exploring what kind of things we liked playing as uh more so than if we were just doing the the just saying music. here's here's the standard yeah. repertoire we'll yeah. just
0: play it cuz that's what I there mean
5: is. I'm sure it would have been awesome if if there was that stuff too but it's just that it's more personal for us because we've arranged so much of what we play and composed now um we started with arranging First, coming from um, classical, we started with arranging things like The Swan by Saint-Saëns, which is cello and usually maybe piano. And th- so, like, John would transpose and arrange the piano part, that kind of thing. And then it branched out to, hey, what would this sound like? And 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 arranging things that weren't classical and composing things. John started with composing. And, um, you know, within a short amount of time, he composed the... Song Montana Skies for us, and um, that's our very, really our first original song that we recorded and, and started working
0: on. So, can you define music that you care about? I mean, is there because you play a really broad range of music? I mean, mm-hmm. Vivaldi's still in the mix, but mm-hmm. so is Pink Floyd yeah. and and everything in between. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's so an it's, interesting is, is question. There, so, is there a unifying principle?
4: I think. If there's a unifying principle, I would say it's almost non-musical in, in the sense that maybe it's more conceptual. I've never put this into words before, but I'll try right now, And that like things like Pink Floyd have this unifying principle, and I think maybe the arts in general, of just um, celebrating our human experience and the commonality of that. And if there's anything that I think that Jen and I are trying to do, and you can chime in, Jen, if you feel different, but is uh, to celebrate that in um, our concerts and just kind of take the, those two hours or so to um, immerse ourselves into the beauty of what music is and kind of celebrating that common humanity with everybody that shows up in us. And it's kind of a, you know, just a big party.
5: Yeah, I'll go with that.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Jen, you mentioned
0: Montana Skies, the the first piece that you composed together, and and it's now the name of the group. Yeah. Uh, So that must have some sort of importance to you.
5: Absolutely. What does Uh, it symbolize? A lot of things, really. It's it's so much more than just some sort of... um, It's not a geographical marker of where we're from. Like, neither of us are born in Montana or from Montana, but we have you know, the history of it being the first song. And so that's meaningful right there. But then um additionally, it's, you know, when we started thinking about what to name our group, it felt right for us because it had this feeling of no boundaries to it, the name itself, the expansiveness Big of the sky. Big Sky Country. Yeah. And for us with the fusion that we're doing with the music and not really having the, the boundaries of, classical anymore then we thought that that was was descriptive of what the music is which is you know uh, an exploration basically so musical freedom but then as we've been sharing music and doing concerts we've really come to feel like there's another element for us which is that it it really represents a lot about living your life from a place of joy And for us, um, we have memories and connections and emotional aspects to our name, Montana Skies, which help remind us of coming from that place in our music, but also as people. So that's what it means to us.
0: Here's another original inspired by big spaces in the American West. It's called Canyon Breeze. That's Montana Skies, performing live in New Harmony earlier this year. We'll have more after a break. This is The Trend.
3: Support for WNIN comes from Morton Solar, a renewable energy solution provider for residential, commercial, governmental, and utility clients wanting to reduce electricity bills and lessen the carbon footprint. Located in Evansville, Indiana, Morton Solar provides consultation, engineering and design, and installation for projects throughout the Tri-State area. Information on Facebook or at 812-402-0900.
0: You are listening to The Trend. I'm Micah Schweitzer. We're talking with John and Jen Adams, who form the classical fusion duo Montana Skies, and we're listening to excerpts of a concert recorded in New Harmony earlier this year. There seems to be, and I guess, I, I mean, this started probably in the 90s to become, you know, somewhat mainstream and certainly see a lot of it in the past decade or so of classical musicians who are, Embracing non-classical forms of music and non-classical musicians who are embracing classical music. I mean, I think of people like Yo-Yo Ma, for instance, who has kind of broken out of the box with some of his projects, or someone like the mandolinist Chris Thiele, who has started performing the Brandenburg Concertos with a bluegrass group. Right. Where do you fit into that? And do you, do you see in the in the conservatory and university environment, do you see more of a Uh, a bending of of lines and breaking out of boxes is this becoming the norm now
4: i think um well i can't speak that it's becoming the norm I, i think that from our perspective um it it's definitely influenced by those things and jen as a cellist has probably noticed this more um because cello is a much more classical instrument than the guitar is in general but um I feel that the perspective that I'm coming at it from as a guitar player is that I had all of this background of rock music and things too, just as a guitarist and then studied classical guitar at the same time. And so for me, I kind of see what we're doing is fusing those two elements a little more in a maybe less academic way, or that's the way I look at it anyway. Um and just kind of using the classical training to help inform you know the other aspects of my music, but still just kind of going for it.
5: I agree with you, Micah, that definitely it's uh like a new frontier in music, especially with instrumental music, more so in my opinion, instrumental music, in that it's like a new genre that I think a hundred years. I don't know. Two hundred years from now, it'll be an actual genre that is taught, like the classical just, just, era. of Yeah, just like baroque or classical yeah, or, or I romantic. Think so. or, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think it, and I don't know if it's going to be labeled classical fusion, like what we call our music, but it's a, you know, it's a term that could describe a lot of what you were talking about with the different groups going both ways, and that I think it's really exciting to be part of this time. In instrumental music because um, there's technology too which I think is creating a lot of um, the inspiration for us all as musicians because you know we we use technology um, to express ourselves differently than if we were only with our acoustic instruments so Mm -hmm. we have my six string electric cello which is one thing that's totally different and I can stand with it, and I have two extra strings, so I get to play fiddle things, violin things, cello things, then all the way down to bass things on it.
0: So so the the four original cello yeah, strings are in the middle, and you exactly. have one lower and one higher? Yeah,
5: like a bu- bookends on either side, exactly. And so that's super cool, and that's technology right there and very innovative, and it allows me to express myself totally different. But then our group has... Um, you know, amplification on both of our acoustic instruments. And that gives a whole other feel. And then we use the technology of computers and have um, Ableton Live that we use to create layers to our sound live. So we don't use anything pre recorded. So it still has that feel of like what we were um, trained in as classical musicians, I think. And we, you know, create percussion and do different layers. So it's definitely um, something that I think other performers also are inspired by um, to to do the fusion with, you know, all these cool instruments and, and technology and computers. So definitely.
0: And the cello, as you mentioned, um, for a long time has been, pretty narrowly defined by classical music and i feel like it might be coming out of its shell a bit when you think of people like rashad eggleston who's just taken Mm -hmm. it in crazy directions or or like natalie haas or Mm -hmm. um you know someone like mark summer and what he's done with sort of almost jazz in a in a quartet setting string traditional string quartet setting with Mm -hmm. turtle island um who do you draw inspiration from or do you feel like you're charting your own path here
5: oh no i draw inspiration from lots of people i love Listening to other musicians and especially live, I've met Mark, I've met Rashid, and um, it's a smaller world. Once once I started to go out and perform the alternative cello playing styles, I feel like I'm in a club, you know. Mm. And we we have crossed paths with a lot of different people. But I agree with you, the cello is totally breaking out of its shell, and I am meeting young cellists you know, all the time as we travel around. And they're very interested in doing things differently. They may not have tried it yet, but they're very interested in it. And then, um, you know, there's resources for them because now there's people out there doing things that they can learn from and use as their own platform to be inspired. But some of the people that inspire me are... Um, other instruments, actually, a lot of times. I I love the players you mentioned, uh, and Yo-Yo Ma too, and all of that. Um, and then the oldies like Jacqueline Dupree. Um, but I also am really inspired by like Jean-Luc Ponty on jazz violin, and um, Michael Hedges, and then going fingerstyle guitarist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you know, there's just something about hearing another instrument but playing similar style of music to what you know I'm enjoying playing mm-hmm. and 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 getting inspired by it but music is inspiring all across the board maybe that's why our music is such a fusion because we are inspired by so many different things like bob marley and pink floyd and all that mm.
0: John, I want to ask you about, you play the nylon string classical mm-hmm. guitar, and that is a less common or less popular instrument in the U.S. than the steel string or the electric. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that allow you to do? What does that give you access to that that you don't get from the more common
4: types, at least in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. The, well, the nylon string is the traditional classical um, instrument, and so I I have played steel string and electric guitar but uh, the nylon string i really like because of its versatility kind of with the actual material of the string it's made of nylon so i can vary the tone colors and and um things like that it also sets up a little better for me um with just the finger spacing and another aspect would be um sort of using it as a flamenco sort of percussion percussive instrument, which I like to do quite a bit. And the nylon strings really respond to that style of strumming and um, percussive attack.
0: Montana Skies performing Gringo Flamenco. I want to ask you um, about your relationship because you're a husband and wife duo. Mm -hmm. And um, what's it like to play music with someone you're that close to?
5: I don't know what it's like to play with, you know, someone that I'm not that close to. I mean, (laughs) because, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of a joke because, I mean, we both enjoy playing with other musicians still. But neither of us have toured with other groups. Um, we've just been doing doing this, and I've only known this as my relationship with John. Like it's woven in there. You That's know. how
0: you met. Was, yeah. was in mm-hmm. college, right? Studying yeah. music,
5: right? I feel like we're you know very versatile in our relationship, so that we are we are bandmates and and um, you know deep friends and in and husband and wife just depends on sort of what's going on and i think that that is what allows it to work as well so it's not very restrictive in our relationship it's very open and we're both very much supportive of each other exploring their own life path and growth so that um you know over the years we've gotten to be more um i think kind to each other as well which is essential i mean like the kindness and patience and that you know is essential but the shared passion i think towards the music initially was a huge fuel for being able to have the time to grow in our relationship so there was stressful moments maybe in the beginning that wouldn't phase us now at all but because we were so fired up about the music it was like you know it it made it work mm-hmm. um it gave us the the fuel to like learn how to deal with each other yeah <laughs> you know
4: yeah i i agree i i think that the concept of quote unquote husband and wife um is just a concept and it can sometimes maybe be stifling if that definition is filled with too many preconceived ideas from our subconscious upbringing. I mean, not to go too deep, but I just think we're two people that are living together and, and, you know, it's a lesson in learning to treat the other person with kindness and respect. And, and um, ultimately we both just want to be happy, just like, every other person in the planet. So it's just about um, learning to do that with each other, hopefully with everybody else.
5: Right. And the the music part, like to answer more specifically to your question, it's just that the music is just part. It's like that's who each of us, you know, we each have that interest individually, and then it's just part of our relationship, but it's not probably influencing it too much that we – um you know decided to have a relationship probably not i don't know but i i do think that over time because we've known each other for a long time that we have a connection that's pretty deep i would imagine that that can happen with other bandmates too whether they you know sleep together or not i don't know but (laughs) but you know but we definitely um have have grown a lot over the years because we've known each other so so long and we've grown musically and personally so
0: you mentioned um touring together and, and you've played around the u.s and canada you've also toured in russia and asia um do audiences respond differently in different places i mean one always hears about music is the universal language which mm-hmm. would suggest that we all understand it the same way no matter where we are is that true
4: i think it is true i mean i don't really notice a big difference in response from place to place. I think people in general seem to love music the same everywhere and respond to it in a pretty similar way. So in that way, I think for from my experience, music is that transcendent language that allows us to all connect.
0: Well, it's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's yeah, our pleasure. Thank yeah. Thank you. John and Jen Adams are the cello-guitar duo Montana Skies. We heard excerpts of their Under the Beams concert recorded in February in New Harmony, Indiana. The Trend is a production of WNIN in collaboration with the Evansville Courier and Press. The show's producers include Ryan Reynolds, Carol Seiler, and Tony Voss. The theme music was composed by Jeffrey Osman. I'm Micah Schweitzer. We'll talk next week. This is WNIN-FM, Evansville, Henderson, and Owensboro.